And then we get our long journey through the midpoint of the tribulation. It is going to be a very uh, jam-packed couple of days, if not maybe a couple of weeks, um, the midpoint of this seven-year period. So we see in chapter 10, we get a mighty angel. In chapter 11, we get two witnesses. And then at the end of chapter 11, we see the ark in the temple. Again, this is probably a proleptic vision looking forward to the end of the tribulation period. Well, this mighty angel stands on the earth. Uh, This is not Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ will not set foot on this earth again until Israel calls him as their king and he comes to conquer. Uh, This angel has a different purpose than Christ has when Christ will come um, to destroy the armies of the Antichrist. This angel is clothed with a cloud, which is often representative of the uh, presence of God, the Holy Spirit. We can think of the cloud of light that led the, uh, the Jews by night. He is given a halo that looks like a rainbow. Um, again, this is judgment and salvation imagery, just like we get with the flood, just like we have around the throne of God. His face shines like the sun, just like Moses' face shone when it was in the presence of God. And its feet stand like pillars of fire on the earth. So this is a strong and mighty angel, and he has come to deliver a message to John. And uh, we get seven peals of thunder, which we identified either as seven judgments, which are not uh, permitted to be written, where there are seven more judgments similar to the seals Um, trumpets and bowls, but we are not um, let know what those are, or those are judgments that could have been, um, but God repented and did not bring those seven peals of thunder. But either way, John was not allowed to write down what those seven peals of thunder said. Uh, But the declaration from this angel was that there would be no more delay. Remember the question again of the martyrs under the altar. Uh, how much longer, Lord? And he says, no more delay. And then he hands John this little book and he says, eat this. It will be bitter on your lips and sweet in your stomach. Uh, This is probably the judgment written for um, the world, um, if not specifically on Jerusalem, because though judgment itself is bitter, the completion of God's will and the bringing of justice is sweet. Um, This was the meaning that it had uh, for Jeremiah when he was given the same command to eat the scroll. Um, And then John, just like Jeremiah, was recommissioned again to prophecy. This redoubles his his authority to reveal the oracles of God. And then he is instructed, just like, actually in this case, just like Ezekiel, Um, to measure the temple and to measure the altar and to measure its worshipers. Now, the temple that Ezekiel measures in uh, Ezekiel 43 is the millennial um, temple. And we see that it is all measured and it all belongs to God. But here he is told only to measure the inner court of the temple, to measure the altar and to measure those who are worshiping at the altar, because here those are what belong to God. This third temple that will be built in Jerusalem will be the temple of the Antichrist. But within it, God will still retain a remnant. And then um, 
the outer courts of this temple, it is said, will be tread on by the nations. Uh, and that really is, this whole period is the completion of the time of the Gentiles, when the Gentile nations tread on Israel. Israel will receive their inheritance in the millennial kingdom. Until then, they are tread down by the Gentile powers. So at the midpoint, uh, here again, we have another interlude, and this goes back all the way to the beginning and kind of catches us up on some details uh, that bring us to the events of the midpoint. These two witnesses, uh, we're told, are given authority for 42 months. That is three and a half years, half of um, seven years. Uh, but it's at the midpoint of the tribulation that they die. So we know that they must have um, arrived at the beginning of the tribulation period, but for the sake of um, cohesive narrative, we weren't given that information from the beginning, um, but we're filled in on that information here once they become more prevalent. Uh, it is probably from the witness of these uh, two prophets that the 144,000 were saved. Uh, at least uh, that may have been the case for some of those 144,000. These two witnesses will also have the power to bring additional plagues beyond the uh, three sets of seven um, judgments that the Lord is bringing. They will have authority to bring additional plagues. Uh, some examples of that would be turning water to blood or causing it to stop raining. Um, because the text says they have the authority to do that, to me, it's kind of like a smoking gun or not a smoking gun. What is it? Uh, when a gun shows up in a story, you know it's going to be fired. Um, I can't remember. It's a Russian author who that term is named after. But um, yeah, when you see a, a gun show up in a book, you know eventually it's going to be fired. Uh, here, when we see these uh, the this authority that they're given um, over the rain and over the drinking water, we can assume they will probably exercise that authority. Um, and at the midpoint of the tribulation, the false Christ, the Antichrist, will kill them in Jerusalem. Uh, their deaths will be celebrated for three and a half days. They won't allow their bodies to be buried in a tomb. Uh, they'll be left out in the streets, uh, and the entire world will watch this happen. Again, 50 years ago, that didn't make any sense. But today, uh, it will probably be streamed live on Facebook or Meta or whatever they're calling it now. Uh, people will watch this happening for three and a half days. Uh, at the end of those three and a half days, they will be resurrected by God, the last sign of Jonah, and they will be taken up into heaven. Now, this is really the last warning. Uh, when they see this happen, uh, this is when all hell is about to break loose because Satan is about to come down onto this earth and wreak havoc as well. So they will not only be uh, under the judgment of God, but they will also have Satan trampling all over this earth as well. He's basically unrestrained completely on this earth. The earth, uh, there will be an earthquake in Jerusalem. This is not a worldwide earthquake. Um, it will destroy one-tenth of the city and it will kill 7,000 people. Um, this is the second woe, the last sign of Jonah. And then finally, uh, we see the ark in the temple. Um, now, this one's kind of a, a question whether or not to even include this as a point, uh, but this is one of my favorite passages in the book, so I decided to keep it. 
Um, in Revelation 11, 15, and 19, uh, we see this little verse that you could read right over and not think much of, so I wanted to pull it out. Um, it says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Now, that is the entire purpose of creation history, for Jesus Christ to rule over this earth. And we see here the first declaration that it is happening. Uh, the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened. The Ark of the Covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Now, the temple of God being opened, um, he created his cosmos in order to reflect the heavenly temple, and he created the Garden of Eden in order to reflect the inner sanctuary of that temple. It was the Garden of Eden that we lost through sin, and it's the new Jerusalem that we regain through redemption. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant was God's provision to Israel in the meantime, while his uh, presence was not with them, he could uh, meet with them in the tent of meeting at the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, so this appearing in the temple shows us fellowship together with God in his sanctuary. And this is really what we are all longing for, even if we don't realize we're longing for it. This is the God-shaped hole in man's heart. This is what we long for. Um, so that's why this is one of my favorite verses. <clears throat> Then chapters 12, 13, and 14, actually all the way up through chapter 18, uh, we see the kingdom of the Antichrist, but here is where it really um, begins, at the midpoint of the tribulation. This is where we see a cosmic battle taking place in heaven, and it starts all the way back in Genesis 3.15, uh, where a war begins between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Um, this war continues through this day. Uh, but we know from um, we know from revealed uh, scripture that this judgment has already taken place. Um, in fact, I think it's in First John somewhere. I could be wrong. No, it, it's in the Gospel of John, uh, where it says uh, the ruler of this world has already been judged. Uh, well, that wasn't at the cross. Uh, that was here in Genesis three fifteen. The judgment on the serpent was laid down actually in Genesis three fourteen. Um, the judgment on the serpent was laid down. Uh, that is when his destiny was sealed, um, that failure became imminent for the serpent. He never had a hope anyways, but this is where God declared his failure imminent. Uh, but he still continues to war anyways against the throne of God, because again, he seeks to elevate his position above the throne of God. So uh, he engages in war throughout all of history, and we see this in a snapshot from uh, Revelation 12, 1 through 6, uh, where he makes war uh, with Israel, uh, the woman in verses 1 and 2, uh, he being the red dragon of uh, uh, Revelation 3 and 4, sweeps away a third of the angels to fall to the earth with him. The purpose is to devour uh, the woman's, <coughs> the, uh, the child of the woman, the promised seed that would come through Eve, through Abraham, through Jacob, uh, through David, that is Jesus Christ. Now, this verse four, um, I think, explains why there was so much demonic activity in the Gospels compared to the rest of uh, the rest of Scripture. One third of the angels being thrown down to the earth 
Satan himself is not thrown down to the earth until the midpoint of the tribulation. Although those angels rebelled, um, I don't think they were really cast down to the degree uh, that they were in the Gospels until the Gospel period where Satan sent his legions to stop Jesus Christ from uh, paying for the sins of the world, uh, from redeeming the world. Uh, and we see all that demonic activity happening through the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Mark seems to pull it out quite a bit. Uh, and the whole purpose of that was to keep him from the cross. Uh, but we see this male child. Uh, it says uh, in verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So Satan failed. Uh, long story short. Jesus Christ is right now sitting on the throne of his father, and he will sit on the throne of David over this earth um, and be the theocratic administrator that God intended Adam to be. Adam, the first Adam, um, Jesus Christ, the last Adam, becomes a life-giving spirit. Uh, but we see Satan is enraged um, by this um, constant failure of his. Uh, and when he is cast down to the earth after a battle with the angels in heaven, uh, he realizes that his time is short. In fact, he knows because he knows God's word. Uh, though he's blinded by pride, he still knows the revealed word of God. He knows he's got three and a half years left. Um, so where he's had probably upwards of six millennia to achieve his goal, and he has utterly failed, he's now down to a very, very, very limited period of time before he is uh, locked away for a thousand years and then finally cast into the um, the lake of fire. But when the angels cast Satan down to this earth, um, heaven rejoices. And we get this song. Um, where does it start? Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. We have Jesus Christ standing or sitting at the throne of God at his right hand. Um, uh, enacting our defense while Satan stands in the throne room of God, um, accusing us. Um, Jesus Christ says, no, my blood covers that. Uh, they continue, and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life. Even when faced with that, it was the gospel that saved us, um, that made us overcomers. Again, John is consistent in his theology between his epistles and the Revelation. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that his, he has only a short time. So up until that midpoint of the tribulation, he does not dwell personally here on this earth. And though he has um, indwelled Judas, um, that is the only human that he has ever indwelled to this point. At the midpoint, he will indwell uh, the Antichrist. They are both called the son of perdition. That is because they share that unique uh, circumstance of being indwelled by Satan himself. But this dragon, when he's cast down to the earth, uh, focuses on the nation of Israel. Um, he attempts to kill the daughters of the, or the, uh, what is it? the uh, children of the woman, that woman is Israel, um, because it is not the Gentiles who call Jesus Christ back, but it is Israel. 
when they enthrone the king of God's choosing, Jesus Christ will come back to take authority and to take rulership over this earth. So Satan is purposefully focusing on destroying the Jewish people. And he's been doing that for thousands of years. That has been his goal is to demolish, to extinguish the Jewish people. And that's why anti-Semitism is constantly on the rise. Um, they got a little reprieve, a little reprieve after the Holocaust, but it seems that most have forgotten that that even happened at this point. Um, and it, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse until Satan himself is here waging war uh, with Israel. And we get this unique event where uh, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might um, cause her to be swept up. Uh, so poured water like a river. Uh, swept away with the flood. Uh, some think this means military forces like a river. I kind of tend to think it's a little more literal than that. Um, I don't know how he's going to do it, but it says water like a river, not like a water of river or river of water. Um, so I think it's going to be hydraulic of some sort, what he's going to do. Um, but his purpose is to extinguish the Jews, but God is going to um, rescue them in a similar fashion as he did rescue the Jews out of Egypt. And he's going to carry them away to Petra and protect them there. Uh, and so Satan not being able to extinguish those Jews who were in Jerusalem, that God moved to Petra, he is going to go after the rest of the Jews who did not return to the land um, so as to be rescued into Petra. There will still be Jews elsewhere in the world, and Satan will seek to extinguish every one of them. But Satan is not alone in his efforts here. Um, two humans seem to be uh, particularly aligned with his purposes, uh, and they become uh, puppets like a false Christ and a false prophet or a false um, Holy Spirit. So we've got Satan seeking the throne of God, um, his, um, his false Christ, the beast from the earth, um, acting as a Messiah, a false Messiah on this earth. And we have the false prophet spreading a false message on the earth, pointing towards the Antichrist in the same way that the Holy Spirit points towards Jesus Christ. This false Christ um, is called the beast from the sea. Um, he has 10 horns with 10 diadems. He has seven heads with blasphemous names. These blasphemous names, um, you can think back to the Gospels where Jesus is constantly accused of blasphemy. He's accused of blasphemy because he is claiming to be God. That is what the Antichrist is going to do. He will claim to be God. Um, his 10 horns and his 10 diadems speak of probably political royalty. The 10 horns um, seem to be uh, looking back at the book of Daniel, where we saw that 10 kings would be ruling over the earth at this point. Um, and this doesn't mean that every tract of land is going to be under these 10 horns, but these 10 horns will make up the majority government over this earth. In fact, um, it seems that China will not join into this 10 king confederation because they will come and wage war against uh, the Antichrist in the Battle of Armageddon. Armageddon is not just between God and the Antichrist, but between the entire world and the Antichrist and God. God comes to demolish the Antichrist, but it seems as though man is uh, doing a fine job himself of causing war. Um, it's not Jesus Christ who triggers Armageddon, but he comes to finish it. Um, 
This uh, beast from the earth is also identified as looking like a leopard, a bear, and a lion, which again points us right back to the book of Daniel. We see that this is probably the, um, let me get to Daniel here, uh, Daniel 9, 27. It says, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to the sacrifice, the grain offering, uh, and on the wing of abominations, another word for blasphemy here, uh, will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolation, or who makes desolate. Um, this one who makes the firm covenant is probably this antichrist, um, this false Christ. Um, and that's what these uh, chapters 7, 8, and 9 are really about in, uh, in the book of Daniel. And this seems to be imagery taken right out of uh, Daniel. He's going to have the power and the authority of the dragon. Satan is going to, in, uh, to give him the authority that he has. And uh, the authority that he has is questionable at best. But uh, he he has uh, succeeded in becoming the ruler of this world, though he does not have the title deed to this earth. Um, he is the de facto ruler because he has the, uh, the allegiance of the inhabitants of this earth. Um, so his authority comes from democracy, essentially, the tyranny of the 51%. Of those who dwell on this earth give their allegiance to Satan. Um, those will also give their allegiance to this beast because Satan will direct uh, that uh, that worship to the beast through the false prophet. This beast will mimic uh, the miracle of Jesus Christ, and that's why I've pointed out that final sign of um, Jonah, because the Antichrist attempts to mimic this because he knows that is a sign given to Israel of their Messiah. Now, resurrection is not something that only the Messiah could do. It is something that only God can do. Um, but um, was it Jeremiah um, was also given the power to resurrect a small child uh, and the apostles as well resurrected. So it is not a messianic miracle. It's not a miracle that only the Messiah could do. Uh, God did give others the ability to resurrect uh, by his will and by his power. But this sign of resurrection was what Jesus Christ said would be the final sign to Israel. So this is an attempt to sway Israel into looking at uh, this beast as the Messiah. The beast receives the worship as if he were a god, um, and he uses this worship to blaspheme God by entering into the temple at the midpoint, this temple that he instituted to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. After three and a half years of the tribulation, after three and a half years of the covenant that he will uh, make with Israel, he will enter into their temple, put an end to the temple sacrifices, and declare that he himself is God. Uh, and then we see him causing war um, because of this. And I should mention, I guess I'll mention it here, when we get to the false prophet, uh, the false prophet here at the end of chapter 13 says he has two horns like a lamb and he spoke like a dragon. Um, I don't think this lamb has anything to do with the lamb in heaven, the one standing as if slain. Um, it's a different Greek word used here for lamb, although it's the same in the English. 
but it seems like these two horns are juxtaposed with the uh, seven horns. Was it seven horns or 10 horns? 10 horns of, no. 10 crowns, seven horns, seven horns. Yeah, with the seven horns of the Antichrist, um, he's going to have less power, but despite looking meek, he is going to speak like a dragon. Um, he speaks with the words of Satan himself, uh, you might say here. But he doesn't direct worship towards himself. He directs worship back towards the false Christ, towards the beast from the earth. Um, and he uses false signs and wonders to do this. Now, this is something that's, uh, that's very important, I think, for the church to really understand is a sign, a wonder, a miracle does not mean it's from God. Uh, if a miracle is uh, produced, if a sign is produced, but it points away from Jesus Christ, then it is not of God. These signs, miracles, wonders will be pointing towards a false Christ. So those uh, miracles do not confirm the message. The message confirms the miracle. Um, so that has to be, and that, that's often uh, misunderstood. People think because someone does something miraculous, they are from God, but it could be a demonic miracle. Uh, these, uh, in the institution of uh, directing worship towards the Antichrist, uh, the beast will do a few different things. One is to commission a, um, a statue or some sort of image um, in the image of the beast. Now, this, uh, this image of the beast will be given animation. Um, so that those who do not worship it will be killed by it. Um, we don't know what kind of animation this is. Um, I would think it's probably not rudimentary animation that's hard mechanics. It could be something like AI. Uh, it could be something a little more flesh and bone. Uh, it won't be true life, whatever it has, because only God has the ability to give life. Um, but it will be life of a sort. It'll be animation of a sort. And this isn't the only thing that is animated um, by the power of Satan here. Uh, the Antichrist will be reanimated after being slain. Um, he will be brought back to life, at least seemingly. Uh, and I think this is really by the indwelling of Satan. You can kind of think of the uh, Men in Black movie where that uh, skin suit guy, uh, Egger, yeah, is uh, there's a cockroach or some sort that uh, uses his body. I think that's, again, not the best rendition, but kind of similar to what's going to be happening here, a little more on the spiritual side than the uh, physical side. But it will be not the life of the Antichrist, not the life-giving power of Satan, which he doesn't have, uh, but the very animation of Satan himself that will indwell this Antichrist uh, that will make him seem to resurrect. Uh, but they... Uh, attempt to consolidate power uh, together with worship. So we've got the, uh, the royal and the religious merging in the Antichrist um, politics in the last half of the tribulation. And the sign of worship of this image of the beast is uh, a, the taking of a mark either on the right hand or on the forehead. Now, this is one of the most specific um, things may, mentioned in this uh, in Revelation. This mark will be visible. It'll be on the outside of the skin. Might have a component under the skin as well, but it has to at least have an outside element. 
there are only two options, right hand and forehead. Um, it doesn't mention any other um, locations. In fact, it's very specific about these two locations. And the consequences for not receiving it will be economic, but really when you dig into it, the consequence is death because receiving this mark is worship towards the beast and the consequences of not worshiping is death. The consequences of not receiving the, uh, the mark are economic. You won't be able to buy or sell. Uh, but I think that really squeezes people out so that they can be discovered for execution. Uh, it's a means of squeezing them out, not a, okay, you can go about your business growing your own food. Uh, you just can't buy and sell. No, it's going to be, if you don't take this mark, you are going to be executed. But the, uh, the words on your sentence won't say refusal of the mark. It'll say refusal of worship uh, because receiving the mark is worship of the beast. And it is going to be conscious worship. You will know at this point who you are worshiping, um, but they will willingly be choosing that, um, choosing to worship the beast. Because remember, um, they have already rejected the salvation of God. They have cried for death rather than salvation. When the Antichrist makes himself known, says that he himself is God, and if they don't worship him, they will be killed. Well, at this point, they are going to accept his mark because they obviously do not care much about the salvation offered from Christ anyways. Uh, <clears throat> so he will pressure mankind to worship with these economic consequences. And the uh, number of the name of the beast that will be somehow associated with this mark, either visibly or digitally, um, who knows at this point, there might be something else, some other technology they develop in the next couple of years. Uh, but either way, whatever that name means will probably be under, will definitely be understood then. Uh, I think it'll be hard to be sure what it is until then. Uh, a lot of people try to use gematria to, uh, identify it that the name whatever the actual given name of this beast will total out 666 um, kind of like ronald reagan uh, though uh to me again that's not a, a surefire thing that oh because his name is 666 it's uh that may that means this is the antichrist but when the antichrist arises and you see all these other things his name will be identifiable somehow with 666 i kind of uh, shy away from the gematria um because it was a, an occult practice by the, uh, by the, uh, the Jews. It was not a designated means of gathering information by God. In fact, it was associated more with the witchcraft uh, of that day. So I, I don't think God is instructing people to use what has been traditionally used for witchcraft. Um, that is my take on this, although the dean of my school holds this view. So I am not dogmatic on it. But uh, I definitely do not hold that view myself. Uh, so in closing here, because we just did chapter 14 two weeks ago, so I'm hoping it's still kind of fresh on your minds. I'm just going to take out a verse that uh, looks back at chapter 13. Uh, it says, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone on the, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. Uh, so this is much different than the promise offered to uh, the overcomer, uh, the, the one who's been saved by the blood of Christ, who has promised that he will have his name confessed before uh, the angels and before God, the one who takes the beast and uh, becomes 
the conquered rather than the conqueror uh, by aligning himself with Satan, the Antichrist, rather than aligning himself with God through faith uh, in Jesus Christ. Uh, his final destiny is in the lake of fire. So on that happy note, <laughs> that's our summary of the first 14 yes. chapters. Yeah, well, we still got next week. And next week, we're going to do a Q&A. Uh, feel free to send me your questions ahead of time if you want. Otherwise, throw them at me next week. And uh, I can promise at least a response, uh, if not a, an answer of some sort. All right. So with that, I'm going to end the... Uh, Thank you.